Lord, we want to commit this to you. As always, Holy Spirit, we can't do without you. We need you to be with us. For me to be able to deliver this and even for us to be able to receive it and to understand it. So please help us, Lord. Please be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love tonight's title. It's Planks, Pigs, and Pearls. And I think if you know your Bibles well enough, especially Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6, you will understand why I have chosen this title. And this topic is a very controversial one, at least in a Christian uh, scene and a Christian environment. So I pray that I will do uh, justice to what we have to learn this evening. Okay? What's a general perception observation? Christians are seen or perceived as being very judgmental. And people tend to have that kind of an impression of us because it's, everything that we do or whatever we say, it seems to go against what Jesus said. You know, those three big words, do not judge. And so because Jesus said, do not judge, and Christians seem to always be like passing a judgment, that's why we're hypocrites, you see, because we're not following the commands or the teachings of Jesus closely enough. Now, as if that's not bad enough, this is made even worse in the present-day context or the narratives that we are very familiar with this, uh, these times. For example, if you talk about a narrative of personal rights, then a person will look at you and say, well, I have my rights, and so you don't have that right to tell me that I'm wrong. So how can you pass a judgment against me? Today, it's all about freedom. And so I have the freedom to do or say anything that I want and anyhow I want and whenever I want. And so who are you to tell me off or to tell me that I am wrong? And how about this word called love, right? And people are saying this, if you love me, then you will accept me the way I am. I mean, that's what love is all about. You Christians always talk about love, but you want to judge me some more. And the fourth one is about tolerance. It's a big word nowadays. Everywhere we go, we've got to tolerate Oh, so you have to tolerate everything about me. Whatever you don't like about me, too bad. You just have to tolerate that. And so as such, do not judge. So you Christians are hypocrites because Jesus says you are not to judge and some more you judge. But do you realize that all these statements that I've shared with you, the narratives that we're used to listening to and sometimes we also buy into it, all these statements are not consistent at all. Think about it for a while. Because when you say that I have judged you, you have already judged that I'm judging you. Did you realize that? Right? So when someone tells you, no, you cannot judge me, you say, well, hello, you, you just judged me that I have judged you. And so you are inconsistent even in the way that you are talking. And if you can judge me, then why is it that I'm not allowed to judge you? And so let's start with a truth that we all should agree, eh, come to terms with. All of us, we are always judging all the time. Even as you're listening to me now, you are making an assessment, aren't you not? Okay, you're judging me. That's true. I forgive you, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, if you are a leader, can you imagine if you don't judge? What kind of a leader does not make an evaluation? If you are a parent and you say, oh, cannot judge, well, I don't know what kind of household you're going to have. And maybe that's a, that's a problem with families and households today is because the, the parents themselves are saying, I, I cannot judge. You know? and because if I judge, then I'm going to give a stigma. Uh, my child is going to grow up a little bit odd and so on. You know? And I cannot. I better not judge. 
Maybe that's where we are having all these problems nowadays. If you are a pastor, you try not judging. It's going to be very, very difficult, you see. The truth is, you go through life, every step of the way, you are making an evaluation, you are judging, and you are forming an opinion. Notice that this, in chapter 7, praise God, we have already reached chapter 7. It's connected to the verses prior to this, right, that we have gone through in the last two teachings. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, we are told to seek the kingdom of God and to declare the righteousness of the kingdom. Now, do you know another word for righteousness is actually justice? It's translated from the same root word. Righteousness is justice. And the ones who administer justice are the ones who judge. And so if you do not judge, or if we are not supposed to judge, then how do we distinguish between what is righteous and what is not righteous? How do we make an opinion or form an opinion between a true prophet or a false prophet, which we'll be coming to in the teaching very, very soon? And Jesus says, no, you've got to look for good fruit or maybe there's a bad fruit. So how do you know if you don't make a judgment? What would be a sound doctrine and what would be unsound? Jesus says, look, you better be careful. They are going to be hypocrites. Oh, cannot judge Jesus. How can you call people hypocrites? See, it does not make sense if we don't learn how to judge. And so contrary to popular belief, and also due to a case of extremely bad hermeneutics, and that hermeneutics, that word just means Bible interpretation, very bad Bible interpretation. Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 7 is not about not judging. It is about how to judge ourselves and others rightly. Now this might surprise some people, but we're going to unpack this through this teaching, and I hope that it will help you. And I know I've been learning a lot even as I've been preparing this. It's not about not judging. It's about learning how to judge correctly ourselves and also others. I like this quote from Paul Washer. And if you know Paul Washer, he's a no-nonsense guy. He will say it like it is. And he says, People tell me, judge not, lest ye be judged. I always tell them, twist not scripture, lest ye be Satan. But we are twisting scriptures. We are taking scriptures out of context. And so let's get straight into the text. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. I'll read it for you, and then I'll share the principles that I have for you this evening. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. You know, when you get into a passage like that, the first thing you want to do for your own practice and your own learning is that you want to look at some general observations and draw some understanding from that first before getting into the principles. So since it's about judging, let's look at this one word called to judge, the verb. It comes from this Greek word, krino. And it has a wide variety of meanings. And from the Complete Word Study Dictionary, let me read this to you. 
To judge, or krino actually means to separate, to distinguish, to discriminate between good and evil. Select, choose out the good. Now in the New Testament, it means to judge, to form, and to give an opinion after, after you have separated and considered the particulars of a case. Now, if you look at this raw definition from the word study, from a dictionary, I think we have no problems, right? We agree that there's nothing wrong with this at all. If we, if we can separate, if we can distinguish, if we can choose what is you know, good out of what is evil, I think all of, all of us would say, no problem with this at all. And so there's nothing wrong with this one word called judge. But let's move on. Because from this verb, crino, we have crites. Later on, the Latin word that comes from it is criticus. And criticus is where we get our English word, critique. Now, in Bible school, we're always taught that we have to critique a certain position. The lecturer will give us a statement, and it says now, critique. And therefore, to critique is to give an objective evaluation. You look at that position, you challenge it, you come up with your point of view, you make an opinion, and you evaluate it objectively. And the lecturer will then tell us, you have to critique. But don't criticize. Because to criticize is usually very subjective. It's based on your feeling. I like, I don't like, you know. <laughs> I, I feel it's not so right. Lah. I mean, who asks you to feel? You're, you're supposed to make an objective evaluation. So if you critique, that's fine. But if you criticize, it is usually negative, derogatory. There's a tendency and there's an intention to tear down. Because you don't like and so you will put that person or that point down. And I believe this is what Jesus was referring to. He was trying to isolate or identify this criticalness uh, or this critical spirit that is in many, many people. And I think if we would be honest with one another, we struggle with it at times also. And Jesus was really pointing out this, prob this problem that People were being very, very critical and people were being self-righteous and a critical person would very likely put someone down so that he or she can be lifted up. Now, in the kingdom community, there's no place for this. This is our, our king's point. So if you are a kingdom person, stop being like this. There's no place for a critical spirit. So can you see, from the word judge, crino, or crites, someone who is a judge, to be objective, there's no problem with that at all. But if you become a critical person, to put people down so that it makes you look better, that you are self-righteous, that you think you are so much holier and so much better than someone else, this is what Jesus is pointing to. A third small point that we can learn from all these things is that there's also a difference between the word judge and the word condemn. And in the Greek, krino means to judge. But kata krino. Now the word kata means to bring low, to judge and to bring it all the way down. And therefore we have that word to condemn. And they are related words. To judge can also mean to condemn. 
But here, I think we can make a distinction for our learning. You see, when we judge, we can make an objective assessment and an evaluation. But in our judging and making that evaluation, we don't have to put down or we don't have to write a person off. That is to condemn. So think about it for a moment, right? You can think about this person, you can assess, you can have a very objective view, but you don't have to beat this guy dead. You don't have to kill his character. You don't have to assassinate his personhood in that sense. You don't have to condemn this person. As if this is not difficult enough for us to discern. (laughs) Our tendency for most people is that we condemn without even first judging correctly. Right? The moment we look at something, we see something, we hear something, we say, oh, this one, I cannot make it. Immediately we condemn. We don't even make an objective judgment or an evaluation. And sometimes we swing to the other extreme. That because we want to avoid condemning someone, we even refuse to judge. And then we end up condoning the sin. Can you see the problems? When we don't understand the nuances of the word and the challenges that we face, we mix it all up together, we stir it in the pot, and then we just tell people, do not judge. And then by not judging, and we don't want to condemn someone, we end up condoning the sin that is there. Do you remember the story about Jesus and the woman caught in adultery? John chapter 8, very, very famous and very popular passage whenever we talk about judging and condemning. We all know Jesus did not condemn this woman. After he says, you know, any one of you don't have sin, you pick up the first stone, you throw her. And everyone walked away. Then he says, he asked the lady, has there been no one who has condemned you? And then she said, no. And then he says this famous line, neither do I condemn you. Now we know Jesus didn't condemn. But did Jesus judge? Yes, he did. Because immediately after that statement, he said, Go and sin no more. He made a very clear judgment. He knew that she was wrong and she really was a sinner. She was caught in adultery. Whether frame set up or not, she was part of that problem. Jesus made a judgment, but Jesus did not condemn the person. From this very simple introduction and observation, we see nothing wrong with making objective judgment. Just don't be overly critical to put people down. And as you make a judgment, you may be correct in your judgment, but do you condemn this person? There's no need to condemn that person. With that as our background, we're going to go into the text. I want you to keep praying for me because I've got seven principles for you. And I will touch on these principles. And I, you know, principles are principles. I cannot give you specific examples for each of these. But I pray that these seven points will help you at least form a more complete picture about this whole teaching about judgment. So let's read verses 1 and 2 once more. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. So point number one, Jesus gives a caution and a warning. Before you judge, that's the first point. And he states it very clearly, before you judge, he gives a warning. He says, do not judge until you are prepared to be judged. Because as you judge, the same 
will be measured back to you. And so if you're not prepared to be scrutinized or judged by someone else, then you be careful with the way you open your mouth. At the same time, it's not just being judged by others, it's also being judged by God. Now, to be judged by others is quite plain and simple, right? The moment you make a stand and you give your conviction and you declare what you believe and your opinion, the next time, if you fail in that, uh, very fast one, you know, everyone will look at you, right? Immediately. I thought you say like that. Then how come now you like this? And then you, have, you find yourself in a very difficult position to try to justify yourself, whether you are correct or you are wrong. You understand? So if you are not willing to be judged in that way, you be very careful. When it talks about being judged by God, it talks about a final judgment. That right at the end, you better be careful. And we will talk about that point in a very, very short one. And so Jesus is giving a warning before you even criticize, before you even pass a judgment, before you make an evaluation. Just understand this. As you do it, it will come back to you. It will come back to you. Try asking your children, right? You teach them certain things. After that, they look at you and they say, how come daddy you say this? But actually, you don't do it. You told us not to do it, but you also like that. Very fast. Children are the best judges. And this judgment that comes back to you at times can be the same measure and at other times it might be a greater measure. Look at Luke chapter 6 verses 37 and 38. That's a parallel teaching that Jesus gave. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Can you see the sowing and the reaping? And that principle happens both for the positive as well as for the negative. But it doesn't stop there. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So many times we will take that one verse and attach it in verse 38 only to giving. So I'm going to take an offering right now. Right? So as you, you... You've heard it, right? Uh, I'm going to take an offering right now. Uh, if you give this amount, oh, God is going to press it down, you know, shaken together, running over, it's going to come back to you. And we only apply it to taking an offering and giving. But how about the teaching before that? In context, it applies to everything. That means if you judge, if you criticize, if you condemn, Guess what? It's got to come back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And you're wondering why everyone keeps looking at you. You understand? So Jesus is just warning us and reminding us, that, look, there is a spiritual principle. You better be careful. What are you saying? Because it's going to come back very, very quickly. You can be certain. Now, please take note, this is not an escape clause for biblical ignorance or compromise. Okay, don't look at this teaching and say, oh dear, you know, if, if I judge, then people will judge me back or God's going to judge. Then I don't judge. Lah. I just stop. Lah, you know, I just, I don't know, I don't know. Someone asked me, I don't know, I don't know. Everything also say, I don't know, I don't know. Then you claim ignorance. This is not what Jesus is teaching. You understand or not? Okay? And there are many people who, who refuse to judge because 
not only will it come back to them, but they're scared, you know, if I judge, then you will reveal my own sin or my own shortcomings. And because I don't want to deal with my own sin and my own shortcomings, so I, I, let, I let you off. Right? So if I let you off, you also let me off, okay? Now, do you think Jesus is teaching this kind of a thought? Definitely not, correct? But you, you see how, how sneaky we are? We can take something, twist it, and at the end of the day, we can all still be sinful and still be okay because Jesus is not to judge. Point number two, do not judge the hidden motives of the heart. Don't judge what you don't understand, what you can't see. And here, a commentator wrote this. He says, we must not assume sin even if we suspect sin. Well, that's quite tough, right? The moment we look at something, we size up this person or the situation, and immediately we say, oh, this person like that, sure like that. We suspect their sin, and so we just presume upon this person, we've already passed a death sentence on this guy. We must not assume sin, even if we suspect sin. We've got to give the person the benefit of the doubt first, because we don't know what is really the situation. Our tendency is to jump to conclusions without sufficient facts and details. And this is what I call the Christian's version of fake news. The moment we hear something, oh, we are so happy to share it with everybody. We are supposed to share good news, okay, not fake news. And then we've got gossips, we've got rumours, we've got slanders, and they're all disguised as Christian sharing and concern, right? Mostly like that. Now, I'm not saying don't share the concerns for prayer, but you have to be very careful. There is a time to do that, and there's a way to do it correctly. Sadly, for the larger part, we spread gossips and rumours much faster. And we pass judgment, and before you know it, everybody knows about this person's story already. And everyone is looking at this person as if it's like, you know, really like trash and so on. We've condemned the person even before anything else can happen. Be careful if you're listening to only one side of the story. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. And I can tell you that I've been caught in that situation many, many times. You know, pastorally, people can come and share their concerns or their gripes or their problems with me. And so when you hear this person, you say, oh, what do you mean like that? Now, especially, let's say, if, a, if it's a marital problem, right? The wife could be coming first. Oh, my husband is this, my husband is this. And then, very convincing, you know. The ladies are very convincing. When they share things with you, wow, they're so passionate, you know. My husband is this, my husband is this, I've done all this, this, this. Then you listen and say, wow, really, you're men. Uh, wow, very jealous, huh? And then after that, when you listen to the guy, then you realize, oh, my wife is this, my wife is that. It's like, wow, then you listen. Wow, you also correct, huh? The wife also very jealous, huh? You know, so you're listening to both sides, then you have a more complete picture. We're not saying both are correct or both are wrong, but both can be correct and both can be wrong at the same time. You see, but if we pass a judgment and we begin to condemn the husband or the wife or someone else, then we've missed the entire picture. And I, think, I believe Jesus is saying, no, look, don't judge the hidden motives of the heart. Don't judge also by outward appearance or by stereotypes or by prejudices. Now, that's very simple, very easy. 
And today, especially with the challenges of um, racial tensions, religious tensions, and so on, it's so easy. Or oh, must be like that. Are ah, this group of people like this? Are ah, this race is like that one? And even in our church circles, ah, you come from which church? Oh, that one. Ah. <laughs> oh, we don't even have to say that one. Ah. The moment they mention the church, ah, then we, oh. You know, in, in, in our hearts, ah, we're like, okay, okay, I see. Mm, yeah, I love you. Mm. We can judge by all these outward appearances. I mean, stereotypes is the reason why it's called a stereotype. Huh? Okay, they don't, they don't help themselves. That's another story. That's another teaching. Okay. But Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 24, Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. You've got to get to the core issues, the exact stuff. And I can tell you, it's not always easy. Okay, so sometimes you may have to defer. You may have to step back and really say, I don't know. I'm really not sure about this situation. Okay. Point number three is this, that God has the final say. God has the final say, meaning He has the final judgment. He is the ultimate judge. Of course, it's very easy just to push it all the way to the end and say, oh, finally God will judge. The question is, do you really believe He has the final say? Because if you believe, you will talk differently. You will live differently. We will conduct ourselves in our kingdom community a lot more carefully. This passage I'm giving to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 1 to 5 is a situation that surrounded Paul, Apollos, and Cephas. And the people were sort of picking sides, you know. I prefer Paul, I belong to Apollos, you know, um, Cephas is better. And they were judging each other, eh? one against, pitting one against the other. And Paul said this, writing to the church in Corinth, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Then in verse 3, he says this, But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. What is a powerful statement. Therefore, Judge nothing before the time, until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Paul was being compared. I believe he was also being criticized. But he was not overly concerned. He's saying, look, I'm a servant of God. I'm doing whatever I can. I'm doing the best I can. And he says, God will reveal everything within me. He will reveal every hidden motive of my heart. And so before you judge me, whether I'm a good servant, a good teacher, a good minister, a good pastor, I, I'm not bothered. Okay? And he says, I do not even judge myself. Now, that one phrase just means I can't even assess what that final evaluation will be. That one line does not mean, I don't judge myself, means 
I don't care how I live, how I minister, I chin chai, bo chai, anyone also can because, you know, I'm an apostle of God. God will judge me in the end. That's, that's, it's not a throwaway, flippant statement. Are you following? Okay? He's referring to a final judgment. He says, however well I do, I just want to be as faithful as I can. Am I doing as correctly? I think so. But I cannot even give myself evaluation because in the end, it is what God says that matters. This is what he means when he says, I do not even judge myself. And this is Paul being a very humble servant eh? because at the end of his life, eh, he can declare, you know, I finished the race, you know, I fought the good fight, you know, and you know, what is laid up for me eh, is a crown of righteousness. You know, he's so confident that he can declare that I'm going to get a crown of righteousness. And here he's saying, oh, no, 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 I, I'm not judging. You see that? And so you have to hold this intention. At the end, God has that final say. Our part is to stay as faithful as we can and keep our lives and our ministry in constant check. And so if you apply this to a teaching of judgment and speaking with callous words, remember Jesus says at the end, everyone will be judged by every callous word that you have said. Now, is that scary or not? Is that scary? Oh, and sometimes we blah, 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 all come out. And then whatever you say, I cannot take back one. You know? And then we make an excuse or we justify, you know, I'm only human. Which is such a throwaway line. Jesus says, look, you will be judged by everything you say. And when the end comes, there is a judgment seat of Christ. There's a bema seat of Christ that is so clear, but today we don't talk about it. We don't teach it at all. We don't tell people because we, we, we keep telling people there's no more judgment. There is. The believers will be judged. Let's read on in verse 3 and verse 4. Now, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Point number four is this. Do not judge others without first judging yourself. And this is a very good reminder for all of us. Do not judge others without first judging yourself. And I like to call this the issue of self-awareness. Do you know that many people are not aware of themselves? That's why we call it a blind spot, right? Well, we can say things, we can do things, and we miss it entirely. And self-awareness is very important for a person and even more for someone who is a kingdom subject in God's kingdom. And here Jesus gives another illustration and it again involves the eye. So far, we've been talking a lot about the eye, right? And one more time, it's about the eye. Do we see clearly or not? And here he uses that in the brother's eye, you may notice a speck or a splinter. And this word it just means a very, very small piece. Either wood or dust or chaff. Sometimes when we walk in the, in, the, in the park or in the field, or maybe you go past a construction site and suddenly your eye just sort of blinks, huh? because you have this small little thing and then you rub and then you're trying to get it out. It's very irritating. And then he contrasts this with something that is in your own eye, a plank, a beam, or timber. Now, you know, Jesus likes to exaggerate by now, you know that. Huh? 
And he exaggerates. He says, hello, your brother's fault uh, that you're trying to see uh, is so small, you know. And then, but you can see. Uh, but actually, you can't see clearly because you've got one big caillou, <laughs> one big plank blocking your eye. And then you think you can see clearly, me? Now, in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, verses 39 and 40, just now we read, right? He goes on in verse 39. So it's the same context. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? Verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Now I like this because Jesus was talking about spiritual blindness. See, so you can't see. You, you, you think you're okay, but actually you are blind. And so it's very hard to see and evaluate correctly. And he was hitting out, remember, at the Pharisees who thought that they were holier and they were more righteous through their keeping of the law. Very clear. The entire Sermon on the Mount, much of it, Jesus was pointing a finger at the Pharisees because they judged others, but they did not practice what they preached. It's about spiritual blindness. Now, we have to be careful because sometimes we can learn so much about the Bible, listen to so many messages, and in Singapore, we are indeed very, very blessed. Every other day, you can listen to a message. You can go into the bookstores, you can buy so many books, and you keep reading. The problem is, are we cured of spiritual blindness? I mean, you can read all these things, know all these things, and then you go out and you begin to judge, you begin to criticize, you're going to put down, you da, 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 and you argue like, this, this position, like, that position, like, that doctrine, doctrine. And then when people look at your lives, huh, nothing to show for it. That's spiritual blindness. How can you check someone's uh, problem if your own plank is there in your own eye? And then he goes on and he says, look, a disciple is not above his teacher. What he's saying is, who are you learning from? Because if you're learning from someone who is spiritually blind and then go around judging and criticizing other people, huh, guess what? You will also end up judging and criticizing other people. So if your leader or your, someone that you're listening to and you're close enough to Every time you hear, wow, this person like that, wow, this pastor like that, wow, call himself an elder, very soon, you also talk the same way. His plank is so big, it invades your eye. If you hang out with critical people, you will be critical. If your leaders are critical, guess what? You will start to judge others in the same way. Do you know that? So you must be careful. But if you learn from gracious and humble people and leaders, these who decide to learn from Jesus, then you will learn how to judge rightly and with grace. And you want to learn that way. That's what we want, okay? We need to learn how to judge rightly. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate the Christ. You look at Paul. Huh? He was very gracious. But when it came to issues... It was no nonsense. The apostle of grace, full of mercy, full of love. But when it came to standing his ground, he would not budge. So we need a self-alignment check. And let me give you two lines here. Firstly, spec reflection before spec inspection. I made it a point for myself that 
when I notice a certain issue or a certain inconsistency, especially if I see it in a leader or I see it in someone that I, I respect and uh, I, I should be learning from, and yet you see this flaw because we're all not perfect, right? We will see these things. I'll tell myself, oh, that's a speck, right? We have noticed a speck. And so I will look back and ask myself, am I committing the same mistake or not? I use that situation as a mirror for myself, amen? And I think that's a, it's, it's a good discipline. <laughs> it's a good practice. Because instinctively, the moment you look at something like that, you, oh, oh, your entire uh, uh, words all want to come out already. Lah. You're, you want to pass the entire judgment already. Now, you can make an evaluation, amen, correct? You can make it. It's wrong. It's clearly wrong. But before you inspect further, use that as a reflection. Catch yourself. Am I doing the same thing? Now, if not, okay, thankful, but don't be self-righteous. Don't be proud. Okay, don't use your, your higher position now as a means to hit this person down. But I can tell you more often than not, it will reflect something in your own life that you can always improve in. The next thing is to yank the plank before you check the spec. Now that you notice something in your own life, remove the plank. Now what does it mean to remove the plank? I think Jesus is saying this, deal with the issue. So if you notice someone not managing their money matters correctly, now you may be managing it a little bit better than this person. Well, yank the plank. Start to look into your own finances. How can I improve? You understand? Deal with the issue. Turn from the wrong way. That's called repentance. That's Jesus' advice. Remove the plank and then after that you can help your brother remove the speck. So if you will be willing to judge yourself first, then you will be able to learn from that situation to help others more correctly and more appropriately. If you would practice these points more and more, you will then have the credibility and the right to judge. Otherwise, how do you, who's going to listen to you? If you go to someone and you, you start to talk to them about either finance or you talk about contentment, you talk about holiness, and they look at your lives and like, oh, you're also the same as me, like, who are you to go and teach me or tell me or guide me? How? how? You tell me to be content. Uh? Hello, brother, you got 20 cars, you know. <laughs> you tell me not to worry. Uh, you know, but every day, uh, you chak chak all over the place, you know. Kanchong here, kanchong there, kanchong. What right do you have to tell me? You follow? So you've got to yank the plank before you check the spec. Then it gives you the credibility. Otherwise, how do we teach? How do we judge? How do we lead? Perhaps, perhaps. That's why it's so much easy to just teach love and grace without holiness and righteousness. You think about it, right? If I just tell you, never mind, just like, let it go, let it go, let it go. Very easy, right? Because you let go, I let go, then we all let go, no? but to teach holiness, to teach righteousness. That's a different ballgame, right? Because you will look at me and you'll, you'll wonder, you holy? You righteous, man? How do I see your life? 
So don't judge others without first judging yourself. Point number five, what not to judge. Here, I want you to go back, homework, please read Romans 14, and then read Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. Romans 14 is a very beautiful chapter, and I think it will help you a lot if you read through it over and over again and meditate upon it to allow the Holy Spirit to bring you deeper into an understanding of what that is. What not to judge? Romans 14 is talking about food laws. Let me summarize it for you. Paul was telling um, the, the church in Rome to say, can you stop fighting about these things? Can eat this, cannot eat this. I mean, what's your problem? I mean, God has already saved us all. We are sanctified. We give thanks for the food. Someone says, can eat. Okay, eat lah. Someone says, cannot eat. Then don't whack this guy. Don't let him eat lah. You know, because if he eats, then he feels really lousy about it. So why stumble this guy? Okay? And now, of course, in relation to that, he also says some esteem one day higher than another and another person, you know, esteems another day higher than, than the, other, the other person. So he likes Sunday and you like Saturday. I mean, what's the big deal? And so today, you, you hear Christians, right? Oh, cannot. We must attend church on Sunday. Oh, we attend church on Saturday. Oh, is that right? No, no, Sunday is the holy day. It's the Lord's day. You know, Saturday is not the holy one. All kinds of things. So we're judging one another based on all these things. And simply, Paul is just saying, these are minor issues. If you major on the minors, it will lead to legalism. Look at verse 4 of Romans 14. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. That's 4 and 5. And then in verse 10, he says one more time after giving his explanation, But why do you judge your brother? And why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Then he goes on in verse 12, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Is it true the church is still fighting about this? And so majoring on minors leads to legalism because outward religiosity, when you keep some of these things, you know it does not result in inward transformation. So you can tell someone you've got to attend Sunday morning, even Sunday evening is not as good as Sunday morning. You know, you have to sing this kind of songs because this song is better than that song. This is more anointed than that song. Uh, the lights must be dimmer. The lights must be brighter. You can keep all these kind of things. doesn't mean that inwardly you're being transformed. Amen? Yeah? I mean, I know there are issues. There are all these other details. That's not the discussion for this topic. But it leads to legalism because it says that if you keep all these things, you are a better person. It doesn't say that. And so what we should be aiming for is a higher righteousness, a deeper peace and a greater, a greater joy. And Paul summarizes this in Romans chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. You mean well, but it can kill someone, it can stumble someone. So don't let it be taken as evil because, verse 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, 
but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now what this means, paraphrase, is that the righteousness, peace and joy of the kingdom is not found in food laws or religious observances, but it is found in the lives led and changed by the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God, okay? Now, please don't take this one line and say, oh, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, or it's not about food, so I can just eat as unhealthily as I can. That's taking it wrong context again. Paul was not talking about healthy food or unhealthy food. He was talking about food and dietary laws that the people were keeping. Okay? So does this mean that you have a freedom to do anything then? No, because if you are led by the Spirit, then you will eat rightly and responsibly. You will dress modestly and sensitively. You will speak carefully and you will speak wisely. Are you following me? And so if we are truly led by the Spirit, then we would know how to live correctly. So what not to judge? Don't look at all the minor, minor issues. We are still fighting over all these things. And I'm telling you, it is causing disunity and a lot of heartache and a lot of condemnation within the body of Christ. Point number six, what should we judge then? We are to judge explicit sins in the kingdom community. We have to look at what is obvious. What are the sins that are listed? And within the kingdom community, we are to make an evaluation, have an opinion on, and be bold to speak that out. Now you should read 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and chapter 6 because Paul deals with these issues here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and chapter 6. Let me give you three problems I think we are facing in the church. The first problem is this. We have confused what is minor and made these major But at the same time, we have totally neglected the majors and made those minor. This is our problem. Okay? We have neglected the major issues, the the explicit sins, those that are important that Jesus and God would have us to take notice of. We said, these are minor now. It's okay. Because everyone is not perfect anyway. So let's not be too judgmental. Paul says, no, judge these. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. Underline that, named a brother. That's in the community, that's you and I. Who is sexually immoral, covetous, idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, an extortioner. Not even to eat with such a person. Can we put that into practice? The church will be very empty I just passed the judgment, by the way. But do do you agree with me? We're having a problem in the church because we're really not dealing with this issue. We're trying to address it, you know, but we we sort of sugarcoat it, we sort of cover it up a little bit. Because if you really want to deal with this, it's not easy. It's tough. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, 
nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. He repeats the same list and adds on a few more. He says, please don't be deceived, okay? I mean, you're trying to cover up all these things. I already told you, deal with it. Because if, if you don't deal with these guys, these guys are thinking that they're okay. And today we're having adultery, fornication in the church, and we're, we're just closing our eyes to the whole thing and we think it's all right. It's fine because it's, it's, everyone struggles with it at some point. You notice that whatever Paul has said and mentioned, none of these have to do with foot laws. <laughs> Nothing to do with whether you're going to sing hymns or choruses, whether you raise hands or you fold your hands. It makes no difference at all. Someone can attend church on Sunday and sing hymns at the choir and be an adulterer. And Paul says, deal with this. This is what you should be judging instead of all the small, small kacang pute stuff. And this is the problem that we are having in the church. And that's why the world looks at the church and says, you are the same. You and I are the same. The second problem that we have is this. We prefer to submit to the laws of the land more than the laws of the kingdom. Just think about it. We prefer to submit more to the law of the land than the laws of the kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 11, Paul was stating a point. In verse 2 he says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Verse 3, Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? And then he said, If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are at least, who are least esteemed by the church to judge? That means this is the world outside. I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? And if a brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. I told you, uh, Paul, uh, very strong words, you know. The apostle of grace. But very, very strong words. And I say we have a problem because we, we prefer to submit to the laws of the land more than the laws of the kingdom. Now, I'm very thankful, and you should be too, that Singapore's law is founded on Judeo-Christian principles. Not every country is like that. And because of that, we, have, uh, we, we are safer you know, when we submit to the laws of the land. But do you realize that the laws of man and the laws of the land do not necessarily reflect the laws of God? Is prostitution legal? It is legal. But is it the law of the kingdom? It is not supposed to be, right? Just because it is in the law, in the constitution, doesn't mean that it is equivalent to a kingdom understanding. Homosexuality is technically illegal, but is not enforced at this point in time as a law. And that's why it's being challenged that Section 377A will be repealed so that homosexuality will be legal. Now, even if that should happen, that's a law of the land. It is not the law of the kingdom. Amen? Do you understand? And so if you only submit to the law of the land, it's good if it's Judeo-Christian, but it's still one step short of the law of the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, and Paul is also saying, look, you guys, you have the Holy Spirit. 
You have kingdom laws to govern you. If you live according to kingdom laws, there is no law that will come against you. That's what he says in Galatians 5. And so the point is this, this problem that we are facing. If we know how to judge ourselves correctly and our communities correctly, there is no need for Christians to sue one another and there's no need for unbelievers to pass judgments over the church. Now some communities have tried that. I don't think in Singapore. But in the States, sadly, sadly, it has led to cases of control, manipulation, abuse and cover-ups because we still don't judge rightly by the Holy Spirit. And we cover up because we don't want to look bad in front of other people. And I've said this many times, God is never in the business of covering up sin. God is always in the business of exposing sin. Amen? But we as people don't understand that. That's so why we, we always try to cover up. And so because of this problem as a church, as God's people, we again need to review, we must recover right judging. We must recover proper church discipline. Even to a point of, this is a difficult one, excommunication. But what's the primary purpose? Remember, not condemnation, right? Restoration of the people. is to help someone be restored. Our problem with church discipline and judgment many times is that we condemn this person and the church is not one that is embracing with love. The third problem, which I think you already know, is that we are not judging rightly. Why are we not judging rightly? How are we not judging rightly? Let me give you some observations. Believers are more ready to judge non-believers than believers. Would that be a fair observation? We're not told to judge the non-believers. We are told to judge the believers. It is silly to expect a non-believer to act as a believer. We have the Holy Spirit. They don't. We have to preach the good news to them. Then after that, you can judge them. Right? But today, the church is looking outside and judging society. And we're not judging ourselves. This is our problem. Second thing. When believers judge believers, we judge with self-righteousness, without mercy, and without grace. That's our problem. That observation, believers today do not submit to the authority of the leaders. So even if the leader wants to pass a correct judgment, this believer will say, I'm not happy, I'm going to another church. And another church will be happy to receive this believer because the membership go up. That's the problem we are facing all over. And finally, I am of this opinion that leaders were not of one mind where doctrines, judging, or church discipline is concerned. Even within denomination, you have different views based on different individuals. And today we've got so many positions and so many stands. And in the case of national issues, sometimes different signals and positions all come from the, the key leaders. And it's very clear, although some of the Statements are given as an official statement down the ranks. Many people don't agree with it. We are not judging rightly. Why? Because I can tell you this, we are unwilling to call sin, sin. We are unwilling to say it like it is, with love. Instead, we'll say it this way. For the sake of unity, let's just give a politically correct statement and then we'll sort it out. This is what we're going through. 
But be careful because if we are not judging ourselves, God will judge us. And you know this verse well. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? You must read on, you know, but the next verse says, if the righteous are scarcely saved. That's a very scary line, you know. I mean, for all we are talking about eternal security, that we are saved, you know, praise God. And I believe in that fully. And yet, that's one line. If the righteous are scarcely saved. You be careful, because God will expose sin. And God will shake whatever needs to be shaken so that what cannot be shaken will remain. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What you sow, you will reap. Point number seven. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, finally, with this last concluding verse, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. As a younger Christian, when I read this, I never knew how it sort of fit into this entire passage. What has this got to do with judging? Today I can tell you point seven is that right judgment is holy and it is precious. Why do I say that? In Romans chapter 7, verse 12, we are reminded that the law is holy and the commandment is holy, just, and good. And so if you judge correctly by the Holy Spirit, then what you're doing is that you're pronouncing something that is holy, that is just, and that is also good. Make no mistake, okay? Sin is that which kills. It uses the law with as an advantage. It kills us. But the law is holy, just, and good. If you stick by the letter of the law, that will kill you. But the Spirit gives life. And that's what I've been trying to share with us this entire session. That if we know how to judge rightly by the Holy Spirit, we will have life. See, by the Spirit, we are no longer condemned. In the same way, if we know how to give feedback in the right manner, with love, with grace, with the objective of restoration, it will always bring life. And that's why when you give a right judgment, a right evaluation, a right opinion, this is precious. It's a treasure to the community. You understand? It is important to us. And that's why Jesus likened it to pearls. And later on, when he shares a parable, the parable of the great pearl, right? The pearl of great price. The kingdom of God is like like, like that pearl, is that treasure. And the kingdom is based on righteousness. Right judgment is holy and it is also precious. But you got to be careful who you give this feedback to because there are parias and there are pigs. Now the dogs that Jesus was referring to are wild dogs. These are wild animals. The pigs are unclean animals to the Jews. Usually it is referring to Gentiles, non-believers, pagans. Later on, Paul uses the same word dogs for Judaizers because these are legalistic people. And Paul was saying, look, these are dogs. Don't let them mutilate you. But in Revelations chapter 22, verses 14 and 15, there's a reference also to dogs. And these are the people who are cast out on the outside in contrast to those who keep the commandments, the laws once more and enter through the gates and have a right 
to take off the tree of life. And so we look at this and we realize and we think, well, Jesus may have referred to the Gentiles. But at the same time, his judgment or his teaching was also leveled at Pharisees and religious leaders. And so these are legalists. But at the same time, as kingdom believers, if you refuse to be judged, there are many verses there that talked about if you don't want to be a good servant or a faithful servant, then you are appointed your lot with the hypocrites or the unbelievers. You're as good as an unbeliever and you're treated as an unbeliever. Could that be the third category? And so we can look at this and say, oh, it's referring to Gentiles. We are not Gentiles. We, we are not unbelievers. Okay? Oh, we are, we, are, we are not legalists. So I'm not a Judaizer. That's fine. But if you refuse to take judgment correctly for restoration, you could be one of these guys. Be careful who you give your feedback to. And this one final line brings balance to Jesus' teaching. Discern. Judge. You see, at first he tells you don't judge. Later on he tells you to judge. Right? Judge correctly. Discern who to give feedback to. Because not everyone likes to receive feedback. In fact, sometimes when you give feedback, you'll be prepared to be ignored, to be ridiculed, to be attacked, or to be killed. For the best example, look at Jesus Christ. He called out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and then earned Him a ticket to the cross. At the same time, remember that when you receive feedback, judgment from others, be willing be humble. There are many passages in Proverbs about fools who are stubborn, rebellious, and proud, and they refuse to receive advice and correction. Proverbs 26 verse 11, As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 22 quotes the same proverb and another one. A sow, a pig, having watched returns to her wallowing in the mire or in the mud. And so dogs and pigs again. And the Bible is very consistent, you see. So in other words, Peter is saying to all of us as believers, don't be like a dog that returns to your own vomit. Don't be like a pig that after you've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you go back into the mud and be dirty once more. Receive feedback. Because what you are receiving is holy, is sacred, it's precious, it's pearls. But if you want to give this to others, be careful so that they don't trample on what is holy or rip you apart and kill you. So let's conclude. I told you this teaching is not about do not judge. But this teaching is about how to judge ourselves and others rightly. Let me end with three quick points. Dr. Stuart Weber from the Holman New Testament commentary, he says, what Jesus is teaching can be summarized in this one statement. Do not judge others until you are prepared to be judged by the same standard. And then when you exercise judgment toward others, do it with humility. The kingdom is about righteousness, but it is also about mercy and also about compassion. Zechariah says this in chapter 7 verse 9. Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion. Everyone to his brother. And so judge but in your judging, exercise mercy and compassion. And finally, right judgment is holy 
precious and a gift to the kingdom community for our good. For our good. But not everyone appreciates it. So discern carefully how you offer feedback and leave the final judgment to God. So with that, let's close and let's pray. Lord, thank you for the words of Jesus. And Lord, we say collectively, forgive us, Lord, where we have misunderstood it, where we have quoted it out of context. And sometimes we join in the chorus of others who have quoted it out of context. Forgive us, Lord, because it is easier to use do not judge as an excuse for our own shortcomings. But tonight, Holy Spirit, you have opened our eyes to see things. I pray, Lord, help us to remove this plank so that we can see clearly how you desire for us to live as kingdom people, that we can deal with ourselves and then along the way, we can help others to deal with what they struggle with. Not with self-righteousness, not with pride, but with mercy, with compassion and with grace. And Lord, as a church, we pray for our church in Singapore. Help us, O oh Lord, where we have failed. The problems that we are struggling with, help us, O oh Lord, where there's sin and there's sexual immorality, where there's compromise. Help us, O oh Lord. And that, Lord, even if you will be shaking this community, that what is right will show forth. In that shaking, will you show grace? And will you have compassion? And will you help us? And so we thank you as we close this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.